Rumcasters, and welcome back to another content-rich and dynamic episode of the Rumcast. <laughs> we are, of course, the podcast that talks all things rum with the people who shape it. I am John Gulla, and with me at the helm of this here podcast, as always, is Will Hookinga. We do have a great interview lined up for today's episode with none other than the infamous Canute Strand of MOBA rum, but... Before we get to that, Will, I know you are freshly back from your trip to the New York Rum Fest. How are you doing, and how was that experience? Yeah, thanks for the the the, the nice little introduction there to this content rich podcast. That sounds like <laughs> a way it would be described on a, a press release written by a, a PR firm or something like that. I, so I was looking for going, how do we going explain? corporate on me. I, w- I just, you know, I felt like this episode is so full, chock full of content it's that I had to full. find a way to, to express that <laughs> fashion. I like it. So. Well, <laughs> before we get to all that, yeah, I, I kind of feel like at the moment I'm sort of in between rum festivals. So two weeks ago today, uh, we're recording this Labor Day weekend. It's September 4th right now, Saturday morning. And so two weeks ago, I was in New York City for the New York uh, rum festival and congress and honestly it was kind of a whirlwind of a trip for me because i got in friday evening at like mm-hmm. right around eight o'clock new york time and by saturday morning there was news of like hey hurricane henry about to make mm-hmm. landfall sunday yeah. morning uh right around long island kind of area and my flight was supposed to leave sunday afternoon so i was getting a little bit concerned about getting stuck in new york so I, I ended up yeah. moving my flight to Saturday evening, which meant I had to leave the festival like an hour earlier than I wanted to, unfortunately. And yeah. so, again, I was literally in New York for like 24 hours exactly. But it ended up being kind of a g- good move on my part. And shout out to my wife, Samantha, for encouraging me to make the switch to the flight on Saturday. Because as I was sitting on the tarmac waiting for the airplane to take off, I got an email saying that my Sunday flight was canceled and being moved all the way to Tuesday. Ah. And it would have been kind of an inconvenience for me to stay in New York through Tuesday. So good thing I got out of there. But anyway, the festival itself, like I said, it was a whirlwind because I was I was helping out with some stuff. I was running a panel. And so I, you know, I didn't have exactly as much time as I would like to just leisurely peruse and sample, you know, chat and that sort of thing. I was kind of running around. I did manage to squeeze in a few samplings here and there, uh, just kind of, you know, very small samplings. So I don't feel like in a position to offer any detailed insight into them. But I was able to actually I had a sample of this earlier, but I was able to revisit the Long Pond ITP 15 release, which is uh, a 15 year old single mark release from Long Pond. Yes, I think just released. It's about 2400 bottles. Really wonderful rum. It's I I think some people will be a little bit disappointed in the 45% ABV, but Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of a first of its kind release from Long Pond, like actually having Long Pond on the label and being from the distillery. Just a really lovely aged Jamaican rum. Really delicious, easy to knock back. And the Holmes Key South Africa, which is from MOBA. It's a four-year-old MOBA release. Their second release from an independent bottler. So uh, it was actually my first MOBA experience, and I talk about it a little bit during the interview with Canude. And yeah. all I'll say is, like, it was just delicious. It threw me for a loop in the best way. I haven't had anything like it before, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is, again, we talk all, all the time about how we love that about rum. And, and right. it just made me want to go back for more. So big things from MOBA coming. 
Uh, I'm really excited for people to learn more about them and what they're doing. Uh, also got to try a cool uh, Queen Share rum from Maggie's mm-hmm. Farm out of Pix- uh, Pittsburgh. It was finished ah, in okay. apple brandy casks, which is a kind of secondary maturation finishing I hadn't oh, wow. experienced yeah, that's different. before. Yeah. And you could taste the influence. It was it was really cool. And it was kind of getting me, you know, in the mood for fall a little bit with that, that you know, apple brandy thing kind of going on. So, yeah. That was, but honestly, the best part was just getting to see so many people that I had only met before through a screen over the last year. And I thought the festival did a good job of like doing things safely. Uh, there was a mask mandate. They asked for proof of vaccination or a negative test mm-hmm. at the door. So I think it was done in the you know the best way possible given the current circumstances. And it was just great to be able to connect with people. I, I, I had multiple rumcasters out there, uh, listeners, <laughs> come up to talk to me specifically about the rumcast, which was one of the coolest things in the world. Uh, shout out to a couple of, of people I talked to, Ross and Jeff, a couple of uh, friends who were really enthusiastic and just gave some great feedback and that sort of thing. Uh, Sheldon, yeah. another guy I caught up with briefly. Uh, the, some more I'm, I'm forgetting. I apologize to anyone uh, I leave out, but people who came up specifically to talk about the show, which was really, really cool. And uh, thank you, everyone, to listening. But yeah, so it was it was really good, brief, but I'm looking forward to San Francisco, the California Rum Festival, which is a week from today. I'm going to be headed yeah. there on Friday and hopefully won't have to move my flight up an extra day and I'll actually be able to stay, you know, all the <laughs> way through it. the festival. Yeah. Maybe, you know, uh, go out and, and, and find find a, a nice place to drink afterwards or something yeah. like that. So uh, well, I'm excited you're, for it. You're making me jealous in every way possible. <laughs> And I'm sure other people out there are going, oh, my God, but it sounds awesome. And I know it was a shorter experience for you, but it sounds cool, like almost like you have this like 24 hours of rum. Yeah. You know, and like another trip, another like a, cool thing I almost forgot yeah. to mention was getting to connect with a few podcast guests who I hadn't gotten ah, a chance to speak to in yeah. person before. Uh, Mark Farrell from 10 to 1 Rum went up, said hello to Mark, oh, cool. chatted briefly. They, they had a booth at the festival mm-hmm. and he was there preaching the 10 to 1 gospel, spreading the word about it. So it was cool to connect with him. I got to see Zan Kong from Worthy Park there. Uh, actually, it was such a whirlwind. I didn't even take time to try the 109, which they had sitting there right oh on the table. Oh my gosh, so. how did you miss that? <laughs> I, oh. I didn't miss it. I was just, you know, I was busy. I was running around. Oh. Um, so, but I did get to say hello to Zan real quick, which was great. And yeah, uh, yeah so just, just a great time. And, you know, the nice thing for you, at least, is at some point you have multiple rum festivals taking place in the actual city you live in so yeah that's a nice thing you got coming down the pike down there in miami I can't wait i can't wait and, and hopefully maybe we'll be able to see you down here for miami rum fest too so that would be yes. awesome but yeah the the 24-hour experience i kept thinking of the episodes of 24 the tv show i don't know if you've ever seen that but <laughs> I, I never watched I, 24 <laughs> when i it was on when i was a freshman in college and yeah. in the dorm i was in there was like a group of guys who would always have this watch party in the common room they had like a projector on the wall yeah and they would it would be like they were watching a football game like they'd be like cheering and like they'd be like throwing stuff when the villain would come on the screen (laughs) and i'd just be in my dorm room like trying to study being like come on guys keep it down um i actually i'm not confrontational enough to to go out there and say anything but yeah yeah. i I totally see you doing that but that's funny (laughs) i I just i feel like you're trying a rum and then cut to like hurricane henry and the beep beep trying to figure so out dramatic. how to move my flight at the last yeah. second like navigating yeah. the, the damn it yeah <laughs> but enough about me what has been going on with you down there in miami 
Well, so I've been uh, following up on my gardening. I actually had, funny enough, Meredith uh, asked a question on Facebook this this week about how my mint uh, patch was going. Oh, nice. And, and it had a, a way more engagement than I had anticipated <laughs> for something like that. But unfortunately, the summer heat down here is just incredibly hot. And uh, the, the mint patch is, is not, no longer oh, no. Uh, at this point. Yeah, we're going to restart. We learned a lot of things, and uh, we just pulled everything out of the garden today. So we will have plenty of stuff for the fall, and I think we will be successful and try different mint types nice. uh, as well. So different stuff that we can put in our, our cocktails, and it's always fun to do that. But it's funny. You mentioned something. I have a rerun that I had set up today. Rerun? As usual. Yep. All we, right. We, we don't talk about this ahead of time. No. So you have no idea what I was going to pick for my rerun. I don't. But interestingly, you already mentioned it. You have this sly look on your face. Oh, really? Is it the ITP? Yes, it is. Wow. It is. I have How the bottle about that? right here. And I was going to rerun because I, I was graciously provided a sample of this rum uh, mm-hmm. a few months ago. And so make that clear. And I, I revisited it uh, yesterday. Hence, our, our what a rerun is, right? It's a, not our first impression. It's a lasting or at least coming back to it after right, a period right. of time. Okay, and interesting. I'm really excited to hear this because cause I did the same thing. So here's the thing. I'm going to be as diplomatic as I can with mm-hmm. this. Um, you already mentioned your some of your thoughts on this. And yeah. I hate being negative about anything. Okay. Probably longtime listeners have noticed that like I'm pretty positive with most everything yeah. uh, that we try. I have to say... I, I don't think this one is for me. Really? Yeah, I don't think this one is for me. Why? Um, what? What is it about it specifically? So, and and also, I, do you mean that in a like I wouldn't buy this kind of way, or in a I just don't like? So, he, okay, let me let me start with saying this is a quality rum. You and I don't disagree on that. I mm-hmm. think the the history of the Long Pond Distillery. I think they put out a good product. I think this is a good product. So I'm not in any way casting any kind of doubt on on its quality or on it in particular. I just think for me as a a, a sipper person, as a 15-year-old Jamaican rum, mm-hmm. it's not climbing to the heights I wanted it to. Okay. I would be I would be far more happy and again, this is just my personal opinion, so I would right. encourage others to explore for themselves. But I would far prefer sipping the a Hamden even though it's, you know, eight year or whatever that the sure. aging on those bottles are. I would far prefer the Worthy Park 12 year even. Okay. And I have a Clarendon, a Clarendon that is a, a, pl- a plantation extreme or extreme that is far older. And so I get that it's different. But all of those just seem to this one doesn't doesn't do it for me. It's a little bit acrid okay. on my palate. I guess I didn't get anything acrid. Yeah, well, maybe that's the wrong word, but I'm going to use that word and stick with it for now until somebody tells me different. But it's got like this almost a a tartness. Okay, maybe is a better description. Okay, I get it. I get a tartness out of this. And by the way, I like dry rum, so it's not as if I don't care for that. And it's not about the sweetness level here. The sweetness is there in the background; it kind of lingers. But I just I'm I'm feeling like this one doesn't bring the profile that agrees with my palate as much as pretty much any of the other Jamaican rums. Interesting. So I want to ask, because this is a re-rum, do you remember mm-hmm. at all what your first impression was when you tasted it, which would have been a few months ago, right? I, I do. I, I didn't really care for it then. Okay, so it's kind of consistent. So this, is, this is consistent. Okay, so interesting. Th- the reason I picked this for a re-rum was because I was particularly interested to go back to it after mm-hmm. not having a really super great experience with mm-hmm. it to start. And it, again, you know, I, th- I think it's a, a good rum. Uh, it's 
it, it, this is like saying like it's the the least of really great things, you know. Sure. So I, I'm trying to struggle for a comparison here, but it's the least good Ferrari, you know. <laughs> right, so, right. Like, I get what you're let, saying. Yeah. It, let's let's not see it's bad bad product, but. For me, again, if I'm picking a Ferrari, I want it to be the color I want. I want it to be the the style that I want and right. the spoiler that I want. And and this is just not. You're saying me. like for what it is, it didn't get there for you in terms right. of meeting the expectations for right. the where it came from, the yeah. the amount of age, that kind of thing. As you mentioned, forty five percent is not bad. Right. It's, it's not high, but it's not yeah. bad. Well, I, I was going to point out, yeah, like to to reiterate part of the reason why I had this again at the festival was mm-hmm. because John Atkins, who is a very passionate fan of rum, if oh, you yeah. attend any of these Zavi live streams, John is in attendance a lot. Uh, I got to, to meet him at the yeah. festival, which was great. And anyway, he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, have you tried this this Long Pond, this ITP? And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've had it. But he was like, you, you've, uh, you know, it's been a while since I've had it again. And he was mm-hmm. a big fan of the rum. Yeah. I'll put it that way. Like, really blown yeah. away by it. And I, I tried it again. And I do, like, I think it's really solid. It's really good. I think it's great quality. I think the one thing with it that may hold people back, not everyone, but some people, yeah. is the ABV at 45.7%. I think the suggested retail price range in the U.S. for this is 120 to 150 so mm. I think that'll be a little bit steep for some people who are big fans of like cast strength rum and stuff like that. But at the same time, you have to remember the it's 2,402 bottles produced. So it's really yeah. limited. It's yeah. like I said, I, I believe the first like long pond labeled product from long right. pond. Right. And so it's commemorative 15 right? year yeah. old. It's one mark. So it's not mm-hmm. a, a blend of different marks. And so I think some of that scarcity and like you were kind of saying, kind of commemorative, I think that's part right. of some of what's behind the price. So, right. you know, that said, I, I remember when I first tried it, I did a blind taste test between that rum, the Hamden green label, the 46% and the Worthy Park Reserve. And okay. I ranked them, I did it blind and I ranked them with the ITP right in the middle with Hamden being my favorite and mm-hmm. Worthy Park coming in third so again range of opinions here and you have to factor in all those things like price what you enjoy that kind of thing going into the decision whether buy it or not but yeah yeah uh, to me really good quality i might not open my wallet to get this but i totally like if you're pondering it go for it like i don't yeah i didn't even (laughs) think about that but i don't think you'll be well i'll say i don't think you'll be disappointed but in this case you would have been so. For me, I'm just going to say that I would try to try it before you, you buy it, unless you're really just more interested in the commemorative aspect of it, as you mentioned, with it being a long pond on the label. Right. I mean, again, you're, you're not going to be sad with this rum. It's not a bad rum in any shape or, or, or quality. Right. So don't worry about it from that aspect. You're not going to um, end up not drinking it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, my, my sample bottle will be finished. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's that. It's just I wanted a little bit more from what it was. And, you know, maybe as we continue to see how things progress, we'll we'll get that and, and it'll go there. So, yeah, I, I think it's a good one uh, to to try. And I think people should should try to seek it out to at least get a taste of it. Definitely. At the very least. Well, and I love I love that I on like just so happened to bring it up. So nice, yeah. nice little connection we made there unintentionally. I love it. But I'm excited. As you said, this episode is 
content rich, chock yes. full of sweet, sweet content. <laughs> so we talked to Kanu Strand uh, of MOBA Rum, who he has had a really big hand in kind of helping bring this rum to market, kind of, you know, guiding through choices made as they develop and kind of find their way around developing what kind of rums they're releasing and stuff like that. He, mm-hmm. he also he has a fascinating history in rum. He, he worked for Bacardi way back when uh, he had a hand in bringing Novofogo Cachaca out, like kind of putting that on the map in certain Left markets. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> just just he calls himself the crazy Dane. So that's kind of a hint at his personality. He's really fun to talk to. And MOBA is just such a unique, interesting distillery down there in South Africa. Hasn't been around that long, but has already made a lot of noise, I think, in the rum enthusiast circles. And you'll really see why when you listen to this interview, I think. Yeah, I think it's a great interview. And as you mentioned, it's uh, just so much that that Canute brings to talk about. There's something for everybody in here in terms terms of him talking about not only his experience in the rum industry, but also all the crazy cool stuff that MOBA is doing and why it needs to be. If it's not already on your radar, if you don't already know about MOBA, you need to listen to this and you need to seek it out. It is really awesome. I have had the, the pleasure of trying a few of the different line and really, really love it. So looking forward to, to getting that uh, in the future. Uh, more MOBA now in the United States and Europe there are releases, yep. and he talks about those. So let's get to it and uh, let people enjoy it. And also one more thing I want to make sure, listen listen to the end because he teases a little bit of a, pro- a project that he's working on that involves MOBA to an extent, but also involves distilleries all around the world. And yeah. it's, it's really exciting to me. I think it's going to be really cool. So just wanted to tease that a little bit. Listen, listen to the end so you can hear about this, this project. I think it's something you're going to want to keep your eyes peeled for if you are a fan of rum, which if you're listening to this, you are. So without further ado, <laughs> let's, uh, let's check out the interview. So we are here with Knud Strand at long last of MOBA (laughs) Rum. We actually tried to do this interview. I actually, I went back and looked at the date and I was stunned at how long ago it was. It was February of 2020. Yeah. We didn't even know, maybe we had started to hear what COVID-19 was at that point, but we definitely didn't know what it was going to be like. And now here we are. It is the 1st of September, 2021. We're finally getting Knud back here on the show to complete the interview, which unfortunately, the first time we did it, we had some audio issues and weren't able to salvage it, which was devastating at the time. But at long last, you're back again. There's been over a year of time since yeah. we last chatted. It's like it's like a different world. I d- exactly. Yeah. So what I know, like things are always in flux, always changing. What have the past few months been? been like for you in your day-to-day are you getting to do more traveling now or are you getting back out there catch us up on what's been going on in your world so let's say 2020 was for me like it was for a lot of people one of the worst years in my life Mm. um but you know we kept working without being able to travel without being able to go see our customers without being able to go do fairs and show our products without go, being able to do tastings. Yeah. I mean, basically, normally we're in a people's business 
and um, and suddenly there's no people and you go like, okay, so what do I do now? So of course we tried the online tasting sets and all of that stuff, but on top of that, uh, South Africa, so MOBA rum is from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Right. We got under lockdown by the government. They uh, banned sales on alcohol. I was going to ask you about that later. Yeah. Yeah. They banned them totally. So it was multiple times, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and the thing was that they, they just forgot when they did the ban that it was to ban sales locally and not for export, but they just kind of forgot to put that into the rules. So at the distillery, Robert and Linda and the whole team there, they were like, well, trying to get export permits so that we could actually export stuff. Mm-hmm. And basically, uh, well, the first time we didn't try because it was a shorter lockdown. And then on the second hand, they did, we got the permit. And then three days later, they said we didn't need the permit, but then that had been three months worth of paperwork and oh back my and gosh. Forth with local wow. government and everything. It was a nightmare. And of course, uh, our different customers uh, around the world uh, were also in working from home office, not right. doing uh, business the regular way. And, all of those things. So it was just a nightmare. And I mean, seriously, well, I just kept on working, but I was like, hey, no income for almost one year. Yay. That oh, was wow. super. But the good things that happened was that a lot, of, a lot of deals that we had pending, that we had been talking about for years, actually, um, that were in the making all came true. So let's say 2020 changed from being a nightmarish year from whenever COVID started to... Mm-hmm. End of December, and between Christmas and New Year's Eve, the, the snowball just started rolling. So uh, I had a little phone call from uh, my good friend uh, Luca Gagano uh, from Velier, uh, who called me up to say that that deal that we had been talking about for nine months, about uh, Velier doing a, a bottling or two of MOBAs, uh, he was really sorry that he hadn't got back to me and he had just forgot about it and all that. And anyway, of course, it was done. We had already figured out all the details and so uh, basically, that's when the snowball started rolling again. And while we couldn't do much work, um, we basically sold out. And, I mean, maybe we shouldn't have, but we needed more <laughs> money to to make the distillery be- bigger. Right. and Invest to, back into the business. Exactly. And right. to, to augment our production capacity. I, long, I just had a long talk today with Robert about what he was doing. And, and basically, we're upscaling big time. So, Canute, let's, let's, let's back up one, one bit yeah. there, because I know we do want to talk about the Valier and mm. uh, and the Holmes Key releases mm-hmm. as well that I know are big. Of course, but just got first, to try that one. Yes, why don't we start with talking about what is your role there at MOBA exactly, and how did you get involved with the company, and what made you want to work for them to start with, and we'll, we'll catch back up all the way to where we're at now. Okay, uh, so uh, a quick um, background story. So what happened was... Just tell us your life story, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay. So I'm this weird Danish guy who grew up between Paris and Copenhagen and Mauritius and then happened to live in Spain later on and then happened to live in Venezuela later on. And I Classic to, combination. Of course, of course. <laughs> uh, the usual. And then um, I just happened to speak French, English, Spanish... Well, Danish is of no greater interest in this conversation, but it also Those are great rum languages, I feel like. French, English, and Spanish, you're kind of taking care of. You know, and with our Danish rum geeks, they're getting there, you know, they're... (laughs) (laughs) They're up-and-comers. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. So uh, they're good languages to speak. And, uh, of course, uh, I didn't have a foot in each little part of the world to 
the agricultural world with the French and mm-hmm. uh, the Maestro Roneros and big producers in Venezuela, where my ex-wife is from, and um, uh, Mauritius because, well, basically... When I was a kid, uh, I grew up a couple of years in uh, a bay called Grand Bay, the Big Bay. And Big Bay is actually where there's a famous Mauritian rum that comes from called New Grove. Oh, uh, yeah. And so when I was a kid, the only sweets we had for a couple of years of my life was to run out in sugarcane fields and rip the sugarcane out and chew on it, which isn't half bad, actually. <laughs> uh, so later on, many, many years later, like many, I... I love customer service. I like, I like being in front of people, talking to people. So uh, after I graduated high school slash college in Denmark, it's a kind of a mix. Then I became a bartender because in Denmark, drinking rules are that you're allowed to start drinking at 18. So you can mm-hmm. start working in bars at 18. So that's what I did. And all through my career as a business guy in, in furniture and <laughs> cosmetics and whatever, yeah. I always kept working in bars because I love that. I love that atmosphere. And... Um, then after many years of a lot of different jobs, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to work for Bacardi Martini. And I did. And I was a salesperson for them, responsible of sales in, a, in Paris for them for like seven and a half years, wow. and, um, which is about five years longer than most people last in that environment. <laughs> and why, so- why is that? Well, let's just say it will take a toll on the regular guy to have one of these little credit cards with a bat on it and going from bar to bar all over Paris. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So, uh, you know, I'm doing brand building and making sure that the brand is visible and out there. And basically, back then, I really thought I knew about rum and spirits and all of that. Uh, and I probably knew more than most, but what I realized now and the years later is that the more I know, the more I know that I don't know. So let's just That's say right. that... 15 years in, I'm much more humbled by this rum world than I was, uh, you know, seven or eight years ago. Um, That's the best thing about rum. Um, So sometimes I wonder, John, why we have decided to put ourselves out there on this show where it's just going to be every like two years going back and seeing how stupid we sounded, right? How little we knew about rum along the way. We're recording it for everyone. (laughs) It's for posterity and everyone to hear. Yes. No, because because seriously, this is a, a... like the, ne- the never-ending story, except better, uh, because <laughs> Agreed. Um, you have new chapters being written all the time, and the chapters that you just read change all the time. Yeah. You might you might have tried a rum uh, from one barrel, from one year, from one cask, and then you go back two years later and you retry the same one, but there's been two years more in a barrel or something else has happened, and suddenly it's not at all the same story being told anymore. Right. And, and it's like ever-evolving and not even to start on with all the different ingredients that we use. I mean, pure sugarcane juice or panela or Moscovado sugar or um, uh, syrup. Molasses. Molasses, mm-hmm. of course, and all the different types of molasses, local molasses, right. imported molasses, and so on, so on, so on. So we get to a whole world that's just so extensive. Anyway, when I stopped working for Bacardi I, and left the dark side of the force, um, <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm not going to compete with those guys. Not them, not Diageo, not any of these guys. They're just way, way too big. They have some advantages. They have, yeah, basically they can do whatever they set their minds to do, which is 
fine. I just hope that one day they will set their minds to only do organic and sustainable products. Uh, But that's why we small guys are here to kind of push them into that direction. So anyway, what I was trying to say is after seven and a half years with Bacardi, I started uh, working with a friend of mine called Philippe Mille, who still works with the brand that we discovered together. Well, he discovered, I tasted it and said, we should work with it. And then he said, okay, which was Cachaça Novo Fogo, uh, that I think Mm -hmm. is quite present in the U.S., uh, and yeah. um, a very great uh, sugar cane, pure sugar cane spirit. For me, you know, um, that was one of the best I've tried back then and it still is one of the best I've tried. Uh, I mean, their silver is great, the chameleon for cocktails. Anyway, just tried them again at Berlin Rumfest. That's why I mentioned them. Nice. And yeah, great products. Anyway, uh, I left Philippe with that part of the business uh, and moved on to rum because cachaça is great, but... Even, even Rum though, is better. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we shouldn't say that to our Brazilian friends, but let's just say cachaça isn't rum. So I think uh, they would agree with that. A, right? Yes, and that's a better way to put it. Agree. Yeah. yeah. So um, basically, um, I have this company called Left Hand Spirits mm-hmm. for many reasons. One, I'm left handed. Two, because Same. Is, eh, we're kind of different and kind of yep. creative. Sorry, so, I'm the outsider. I'm right handed. Yeah, yeah, so I can't happens. complete the. Yeah, yeah. Uh, keeps no. us in line. Us yeah. lefties. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I was living in Venezuela, I heard uh, a very good phrase that is con la mano izquierda para que se repite, which mm-hmm. means with the left hand yep. so that we do it again. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is quite easy for us lefties there to, that we can actually just have our glass in the left hand all the time. <laughs> uh, and then we're doing it right all the time. But um, anyway, when you talk to the good old guys, the maestro and arrows, the guys who've been around in the rum business for the last 40, 50 years, and you know that kind of stuff, they'd go like, wow, you foreigner, you know these things? That's really cool. And so anyway, between the left-handed part and uh, the, um, and the con la mano izquierda, and the fact that uh, I wanted to source products differently than what most people normally do, try to find new Mm-hmm. new ways of bringing stuff to market let's just say it mm-hmm. like that and to find products that weren't traditionally on the market or that was being left out of this uh, game by most of the people so um, anyway I was looking for great products whatever they may be so I looked into Cachaca and we did that launched a Novo Fogo in Europe with my ex-business partner and did some uh, Pisco I, I love I mean for me the three basic great groups of spirits um, sorry to all the whiskey and vodka fans out there but the, <laughs> but uh, they those are uh, alcohol based on grapes alcohol based on uh, sugarcane and alcohol based on agave mm. uh, for me those are the three that represent their terroir the place where they where they grew the best right. i mean not saying that uh, a whiskey can't be good or any other spirit it's just that the base product uh, even if you're the biggest whiskey expert in the world, I will challenge you to see to tell me where the different corn come from. If we give you a hundred types of corn in front of you, and then you come and yeah. tell us where that comes from, whereas uh, sugarcane spirits, at least the distilled product of it, we can actually taste when it comes from Thailand or when it comes from South Africa or when it comes from the French islands and so on. Yeah. Uh, so can you, with a wine, even though it's a Chardonnay, you can taste if it was made in Australia or California or France. 
Yeah, I've, I've kind of said that before in a way as well when I talk to people about rum who are bourbon lovers, and I kind of try to explain it as like, there's this whole world of rum that offers all these palates, whereas bourbon is kind of like, bourbon's a bourbon is a bourbon. And and I don't mean it to denigrate it by saying no, bourbon that is great. either. It is really, really great stuff, and there <laughs> are better bourbons than others, but the profile is much, the spectrum is smaller. Right. Yeah, I think yeah, that's, that's what you're going for. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's be- because of the corn base. I mean, you can change your recipe and you can create your your own profile, but you don't. I mean, I can't, and I don't know anybody who can. And I know some of the best palates in the world. I don't know anybody who has yet to said to me, "Yeah, I can taste where the corn is from." Well, I, I know. So speaking of terroir, I know that's a big part of. I'm guessing what drew you to Moba. So when when did that first get on your radar? Okay, like- so okay uh, again, uh, funny little story. The internet. Mm. Uh, so I was looking <laughs> on Facebook from a UK rum fest, and uh-huh. I saw that uh, three gentlemen that okay, sometimes they do agree, but it's kind of rare because they have their own specialities. The one of them were Luca Gargano, one was Alexander Gabriel, and one was Ian Burrell. Okay, and even though Heard Ian. Of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is like the beginning of one of those walks into a bar yeah. jokes. Yeah, so. yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except they all three would walk into a bar. It's a, yeah, they, it would. Funnier. <laughs> they would, um, and especially if it's a rumba. Um, so, um, so all of these guys were at uh, the UK Rum Fest, and they all discovered. Well, Ian Burrell had already discovered Moba before because he was the one who invited Moba to come to the, their first event at UK Rum oh, Fest. Cool. Uh, because he had been a judge in a, in a fair in Mauritius. There you go. Mm-hmm. You shout out, shout out to Ian Burrell. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And see, we always come back to Mauritius. Like <laughs> uh-huh. Funny little thing. So anyway, when I saw these three guys agreeing on something and actually uh, liking the product, all three of them, I was like, hmm. There's That's something, something special, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, not to say that there aren't, but, you know, there are more differences than um, I mean. There are more rums that they don't like. Uh, they might disagree it, on. Yeah, they might disagree. All, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fall three on to agree upon, especially yeah. uh, because normally they are judging superb rums. I mean, they're mm-hmm. they are up in a level where you know there's not enough oxygen left for us or, uh, uh, or all <laughs> yeah. our other, us other mere mortals to breathe. Because, Absolutely. You know. Uh, so normally. They're judging really high-end rums uh, in general. So for them to take an interest and like uh, a totally new pure sugarcane juice brand from South Africa, I knew that there was something there. I knew that there was something good there. Mm -hmm. So I started uh, getting in contact with different people I know. And um, I sent a message to Robert Greaves, the producer at MOBA, and asked if uh, we could have a chat. We did. That chat took about... Can't remember if it was four and a half hours or five hours. <laughs> That's the best uh, kind of chat, right? Yeah, and basically, so quick one, uh huh. <laughs> yeah, really quick one. Uh, and basically, my leg hurts for hurt for the next two or three days because uh, I normally walk when I talk on the phone. <laughs> I do the same so, thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, but seriously, that was like a bloody marathon. Uh, but what happened was, me and this incredible guy Robert Reeves, we discovered that we had quite a lot of things in common, and one of them was he found his love for rum when he went to Grand Bay in Mauritius. Mauritius, right? Ah, yeah, on his honeymoon. Uh huh. 
And I was like, well, hey, just by chance, I used to live there. So I actually know what you're talking about. Uh, and then we realized we both have kids uh, that are almost the same age, a boy and a girl, uh, so on and so on. We are both very extremely proud family guys. And basically we have uh, in our life, our families and then rum, 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 and then mm -hmm. all the rest. <laughs> so without even knowing the guy, I felt like I already met him. Um, and we started working together uh, from a distance, doing samples, getting the different color codes right on the different bottles, like, you know, the red MOBA, the high ester one. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's red because in France, normal things that come straight off the pasta with not, no water in it uh, are actually used the red as a signal color. So oh, really? People know that it's undiluted, just looking hmm. from afar. So, so basically, you guys have have some conversations. You really connect on kind of a deep level, and you yeah, start and helping right away, like advising on how yeah, to I kind mean, of. He, they had all they had all the right stuff from the get go. I mean, yeah, uh, Robert had already designed the logo. Uh, he had the name. He had all of that. He uh -huh. had already found the, the square bottle. He had yeah. already uh, started doing He built all the pot stills. He built all the, all the sugar cane. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you're like, now uh, you can come in and do the hard work. <laughs> sell this thing. Well, exactly. No, but that's the whole thing. And, 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 well, people that are in marketing know that this is actually a big part of the truth. And people who are in the production area think that we don't do shit. Uh, but basically... Uh, what I did was I made sure that MOBA became an understandable brand for the French market to begin with, because that is the biggest pure sugarcane juice rum market mm -hmm. in the world, right. besides Brazil, Wanda Cachaça, but mm -hmm. you know, sure. um, and started using code colors that I would like to have on bottles that, you know, as an ex bartender and with a lot of bartender friends. Uh -huh. So for example, my strand 101, my blend, I'll get back to that. Yes. Uh, the strand 101 is blue and gold. Blue and gold. Yeah, because, uh, well, there's a bartender special bottle that we love here in Europe called Smith & Cross. We love that uh, in the U.S. too. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for, uh, you know, uh, bang for your bucks, as they say, that's one of the better bottles out there. Yeah. We talked about Smith & Cross a lot with uh, Jen Aiken from Rumba mm -hmm. when she was on right. the podcast recently. So. Before we get too far into yeah. talk talking about the rum, I want to yeah. make sure people kind of understand at a high level what what MOBA is like what the deal is with it you know I think it's several years in at this point but still relatively a new name in the rum world yeah. and I think if people are hearing about it for the first time and they're listeners of the show they've probably heard it before they know yeah. like okay cane juice cool you know I, I've heard it's from yeah. South Africa but beyond yeah. the high level things what to you makes MOBA unique in the rum world? Because I know there's a lot more to it than just cane juice rum yeah. from South Africa. Um, sure. Why is it that this relatively new distillery is able to, you know, have already acquired so much interest in the rum world, I feel like? Okay, so uh, first of all, uh, let's just in general talk about, like, for 30 seconds, the reason that there are so many new interesting rums popping up from Thailand, like Shalong mm -hmm. Bay, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, Vietnam, uh, like Sampan, uh, mm -hmm. long array of other uh, rums popping up all over the world where there is uh, sugarcane, uh, US, uh, yeah. more and more. Uh, Mexico? Uh, 
in Mexico, yeah. of course. Yeah. You have rum popping up all over the place. And basically, uh, to cut a long story short, is sugarcane is lo- losing its value. Uh, that means that sugar, the white crystallized sugar that you would put in your coffee, is worth less and less money, which means that the farmers have two choices, either starve to death or change their uh, cultures to something else or try to um, add value to their raw materials on making it into rum. Mm-hmm. And once in a blue moon, uh, a guy comes along and he has a sugar cane and he wants to uh, make money. And at the same time, he's got passion for doing rum and it all comes together and you have suddenly this great rum coming out. Uh, I mean, it happens. Yeah. And and that's really, really cool. So uh, Robert Greaves and his family had had sugar cane for the last almost 40 years uh, they have 400 hectares of their own sugarcane that is all hand grown uh, all uh, hand grown that's a stupid word it's all uh, yeah well because it is actually put into the ground by hand right and right, right. then it, and it is harvested cut by hand so uh-huh. and it is all organic not certified because in, in the beginning they actually used uh, nat- well natural fertilizers but are still considered fertilizers that comes from their own mines on the grounds gotcha uh, so the, what kind of mines? Uh, these stupid mines that don't give you any money. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so not like a gold mine. No, not, not gold. Mine. No, yeah. not gold. Not diamonds. Not anything like that. Uh, these raw materials that you use uh, for um, fertilizers and stuff gotcha. uh, that now have um, way too much competition in the world. So um, going down in price. I mean, all raw materials are being out competed or sourced by china and other hmm. countries so anyway this is the best part about rum you start talking about rum and you can go in like a thousand different anything. directions right exactly. you can learn about the entire world all through rum basically because <laughs> well when was it sold when was it transported why was it you know yep. rum has shaped the world and good things and bad things yeah yeah so anyway i get the first samples of this rum and i'm like hey okay so i can take this and uh, we'll make a rum that is at this abv and we'll do this and i can take this rum we can do this and uh, so me and robert i mean of course these are just my suggestions and then robert Greaves as the big boss he takes the decisions and uh most of them he agreed with so that was perfect yeah for example our basic rum which is already a great and a more like a beginner rum for compared to most of us mm-hmm. Uh, most of them, uh, the American oak at 43 ABV, so 96 proof, uh, is black and gold because those are the colors of the distillery. And, okay. Mo- okay. and the name is Moba because it means sugarcane mm-hmm. in the local Siswati dialect. So, and actually the logo we have with the guy cutting the sugarcane, uh, we had the American, whatever they're called, the guys that look at the labels going like, Oh, so where did you get that drawing from? Oh, you got it from this picture that's on the back label, but that picture is actually of an actual person. Uh-huh. But since that actual person is actually our now head uh, sugarcane cutter and who lose team, then we're allowed to use his image on our bottles. But it's yeah. like, anyway. The damn um, TTB. Yeah, exactly. Ah. No, no, <laughs> yeah, but we're yeah, have we, a segment. we, we, we yeah. were good. We were good. We were good. So, okay, uh, any, good. Uh, so but anyway, what happened was, Robert Greaves wanted to do uh, molasses rum because he's a big fan of Barbadian rum and he's a big fan of Richard Seals. So am I. I mean, hey, look at here what we just got made the other day. Oh, wait. Oh, it wow. Says, it's a tattoo. The Guardian of Rum tattoo. Guardians of Rum. <laughs> yes, nice. With a shield and wings. Very nice. 
Yes. So the whole thing is we're, we're big fans of, uh, uh, yeah, Rum from Barbados. And uh, that's the whole thing with me and Robert is we, we like the same producers. We like the same rums. We yeah. like the same thing. So even though we are miles apart, I mean, actually 10,000 miles apart, <laughs> uh, uh, we know what each other feels. And when I tell him this is good and this is good, why this, well, then he knows what to expect and back and forth. So, yeah. so that makes com- uh, conversation uh, on rum very easy with us anyway at the end of all of this oh yeah so by the way so robert wanted to make sugarcane sorry molasses rum and he called up the sugar refinery where he sends all his sugarcane and said please can i have some of my own molasses uh and then they kind of laughed because uh basically that sugarcane um how to say this that sugar refinery mm-hmm. is um one billion us dollar sugar refinery that can treat like 400 hectares in a matter of hours wow mm. so the way to separate who whose molasses is whose and what uh, is like ridiculous. Yeah. I actually, I hear a similar thing from some of the distilleries down in Louisiana that like, if you want to get molasses from some of these local refineries, you really have to kind of like know someone and develop a relationship because it's, it's not that interesting of them from a business standpoint to, you know, sell a little tiny amount of molasses to some of these small distillery. I mean, if you want 50,000 liters, there's no problem. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> You go like, hey, I just want to make a couple of hundred liters of rum. And uh-huh. Slight over- overkill here. Um, so anyway, Robert so that's when you decided to go with the with juice pure instead. Juice, exactly. Um, by pure necessity. And then on the other side, um, him and I, we both love Jamaican rums. We like mm-hmm. our thump. We were talking about Smith & Cross, you know, nice uh, companies like Hampton, Worthy Park. Of course, the old Money Musk. I don't like mm-hmm. the looted stuff that they're selling in the US, but when you tried the Habitation Vellier 2010 Money Musk, that was some of the best stuff that I've ever tasted, for my palate anyway. And so Robert started doing slightly longer fermentations, you know, uh, five to seven days, six to 10 days, seven to 10 days, whatever depending on if it's in the summer or in the winter, because since it almost never rains, we can actually cut sugarcane most of the year. So we can okay. use rum most of the year. Really big harvest uh, season. Exactly. That means we only, that's also why we can actually hand cut our sugar canes because mm-hmm. we only need a small group of men uh, cutting all year round. We don't need thousands of guys for like, right. you know, two days. We, right, we can actually right, right. hire teams all year round. So he was already doing longer fermentation and since he i mean he calls me the crazy dane and i'm like uh, <laughs> well i am a little bit the devil you know i like to push people to 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 do stuff uh, good stuff only good stuff i'm a nice devil um so anyway i was like robert can we do this fermentation longer can we do uh-huh. this fermentation longer and so he did and on the highest one i showed you before with the red label i mean we are about three weeks fermentation so after three weeks of fermentation, Robert sent me some samples, and I was like, well, that didn't actually change a lot between two weeks and three weeks. Mm, interesting. Uh, so how can we do better? Well, let's do a dunder pit. Uh-huh. Uh, and then suddenly I didn't hear anything from Robert for like a week, two weeks. <laughs> and then two he weeks ghosted later, you. He, he totally ghosted me. <laughs> And then, uh, and I was like, well, did I, you know, upset him or whatever? And so two weeks later, he called me up and said, it's done. And I was like, what's done? The Dunder Pit. 
And I'm like, what? And in the meantime, uh, in those two weeks, he had actually created a huge Dunder pit for uh, the Mobile Shuriken. So he makes the pit, and is he he's putting he's putting Dunder from previous distillations in there. Exactly. What else? Basic, basically, it's a mixture between a Dunder and a muck pit. So uh-huh. you actually just take like everything you have from the distillation process, from the fermentation Juice. process, mm-hmm. everything, yeah. everything you can you can find, and you put it down there. So then, after a couple of months, he did some tests with it and adding it to the fermentation process mm-hmm. and it wasn't really doing anything extra actually Interesting. Uh, hmm. but about six months afterwards then try it again and then it was really kicking in so basically everything that's in the pit just needed that extra time to really yeah. kind of develop yeah. the the yeah. right whatever you know right whatever's going on in there natural yeah, right. yeast and all this whole mixture this whole soup had to become one and become really potent mm-hmm. and it's like uh, the little uh, what's it called Hor- little horror rocky sh- what's it called the little, little shop, shop of horrors, horrors. yeah yeah little shop of horrors it's like feed me right. so <laughs> basically you have to keep on putting in fresh sugarcane in it uh, so that you, you okay. feed the the beast so we try to push things as much as we can and but i mean robert was already doing some pretty extreme stuff especially for for a country like south africa where they're mostly used to fabulous interesting funky rums like bacardi martini and havana club (laughs) right (laughs) so um but there is a little group of people in in south africa that actually like uh, their their jamaican hogo and all that but anyway Mm -hmm. most people looking at robert's uh, rum making going like you're fucking insane i mean who who wants to drink this anyway in all the samples he sent me there was one white rum that was way too funky and one dark rum that was way too overly oaky after i'd done all the samples and finished them all uh, over like a two three week period of time i was like what can i do with these two and i started mixing them together and that is what became the strand 101 oh this is the strand 101 origin story okay Uh, exactly So, so, that's so what? White what rum and dark rum. And so, some of it is from the high ester fermentation mm-hmm. you were just talking about, and some well, is from different high ester fermentation. Okay, so I, I did. I wanted to back up at like a high level. How many different? Yeah. Like, I you know, I know in in Jamaica they'll call them marks and things like that. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if Robert mm-hmm. has the same terminology. Nope. But how many different styles of rum are consistently being made? And like. Which products do those go into? So on the um, on certain of the base products, for example, on the um, American Oak, our base mm-hmm. rum, that's our base rum because it's a double pot stilled rum that's being used. So basically all the leftovers from the rest of the distillations. Okay. But besides that, our rum production is forever evolving and Robert is learning more and more and going further and further because now he's got the bug of trying to do more and more funky stuff because, mm-hmm. hey, there's a Dane who can actually sell the stuff <laughs> yeah. and, and a bunch of guys out there that are just as crazy as him and really enjoy this stuff. Right. So, uh, yeah. And for Robert, it's such a pleasure just to be able to, you know, push it and to see whatever he can come up with. And then that's what I wanted to come back to the molasses stories and the fact that we have, uh, that we are fanboys still. Yeah. I mean, uh, of all these uh, great gentlemen in the rum industry is that they actually help Robert along. Like uh, Luca Gagano had uh, Robert talk to uh, his master, one of his master distiller. I forgot what the telling gentleman's name is. The guy that did the um, uh, rum rum. And all oh, that. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, and explained to Robert that you didn't need to put water in the fermentation. So we don't put water in our fermentation. We don't wash our sugar cane. Mm-hmm. We don't do all of these stuff because why? Because we don't have to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be faster. It would be easier. It would be cheaper to do all these other things, but we don't. 
The reason why you also get a kind of sweetness in the mobile rum is because Robert made his own sugarcane press. And before putting the sugarcane in there, we strip it, we cut it into three pieces, and then you have 60 tons of pressure that falls down on it. And that's it. And then we take out the sugarcane, which means that you get like a first pressed virgin oil, olive oil that doesn't have any of the green in it. Uh, interesting. Uh, uh, a lot of Americans have been tortured with cheap agricole rums back in the days uh, that all tasted like a new mown lawn, um, basically because uh, they were very, well, not well-made entry-level rums mm-hmm. from uh, the French islands. I mean, all the good ones don't taste like that. I mean, for me, the better the white rum you, you find, the funkier, sweetier, sweeter, the richer it is, the fattier it is, but it's not at all green. It's not you know, like newly cut lawn, you might have some freshness in the rum, but mm-hmm. you know, it's not that. Anyway, so um, basically, mobile rum is, uh, as every writer says, it, because it's the easiest way to explain, it's like a Martinique rum meets a Jamaican rum, and then they have a love child together, and that's MOBA. Uh, so, funky, <laughs> high ester, heavy rums, only pure pot still, no added sugars, no added caramels, no added stuff, uh, and we love our high AB so as high as possible please so as <laughs> as little water as possible you speak in our language <laughs> i mean you can always add water that's right, right. That's you can right. always add you can always add sugar if the rum isn't sweet enough you can add right. your sugar yeah yep yeah hey i mean that's I'm a, called a cocktail Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, I'm a daiquiri guy. I'm a rum and coke guy. It all depends on the circumstance. Right now, when I'm sitting talking rum with you guys, I prefer drinking my rum straight and neat yeah. and with nothing added to it. But hey, you know, to each its own moment. Yeah. Knut, you, you, you talked about all these kind of very conventional approaches to making MOBA rum with the dunder pit and, and the way that the cane is treated. But then there's also this unconventional side to what MOBA does as well, which I find interesting. For instance, resting the rum in glass casks with the charred oak staves. Yeah, okay. So, so how did that come about? And tell us about that approach. So we will still be doing that and we will still be using that method. And right now we're doing it with some local indigenous wood. It's called sickle bush, but uh, we also call it briarwood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we can actually extract just the flavor of uh, the wood that they normally use to do barbecues with. So like you would, like a hickory smoke wood uh, that you would use for American barbecues. Imagine if you took that and soaked that into rum and then you got all the full barbecue flavor out of that wood and into your rum, even though the pieces of wood aren't big enough to make a barrel out of it. Right. Uh, but yeah. basically the reason why Robert started doing this whole glass cask thing, as he called it, uh, in these 20 to 50 liter uh, glass jars is the first couple of barrels he got were really of very poor quality. And he had worked his butt off for like six months to get 200 liters of rum on his four, little 45 liter pot still. Right. We should and, mention, by the way, he made all of the stills that are in yeah, use, correct? And Yes. And from the start, which means that as he says, uh, you can look it up on the webpage and he's not kidding as a, as a mechanical engineer, because by the way, that's his background. Right. Mm-hmm. Makes kind of sense. <laughs> Comes in handy. Yeah. Well, he always thinks he can build it uh, himself <laughs> and, and better. And most of the time he actually can, but it just takes like three, four, five times longer Mm -hmm. because you actually have to start from scratch without any models to work on. But actually, I mean, the stuff that he's building right now, I mean, it's going to be cool. It's like a a rum Leonardo da Vinci. 
Yeah, well, uh, <laughs> we don't take ourselves that seriously. So uh, 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 remember that little, uh, there, there was an inventor guy in Donald Duck that will always come up with these new inventions for Donald Duck, like a spaceship and a time in machine. DuckTales? Yeah, in DuckTales. Yeah, exactly. I know. That the the big guy. Beak, uh, the big tall guy with the little yeah, yeah, beak the and one, the little yeah. glasses. And Anyway, I forgot his name in English right now. but um, Yeah, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, but anyways, That's Robert. Yeah, that's Robert because, <laughs> I mean, you go like, what the hell is this guy doing out there in his little shit? And then just comes up with this brilliant shit where you just go like, what the hell? <laughs> um, and on top of that, I mean, besides being a genius and all of that and doing really cool stuff, Robert, as a good family man, has probably created one of the only distilleries in the world where a kid can run barefoot around the place without cutting their little feet. Uh-huh. Um, because his kids and himself actually live on the distillery. Which I've seen the pictures that- of like it has that like uh, that water feature kind of thing. It, like looks yeah, almost it's- like you're walking into a spa or something. Exactly, right? and that's ex- <laughs> and that's the water coming out that's been that's been used to cool down the pot stills. Uh, so to to not contaminate the environment because. Mm-hmm. We like rum. We like having fun uh, in the sun and all that weird stuff that they used to say. Uh, but uh, but we also like the earth. Yeah, and we would like to leave a better place for our kids. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that they don't spit on our graves once we are gone and uh, and all that. Um, but yeah, so we we want to have we want to drink. We want to have good times with good rum with good friends. And at the end, we don't want to leave the world a worse place than it was when we came into it. Good and philosophy. And by the way, you know, it's really cool to be able to drink with a, a clean conscience. <laughs> yeah, that helps, yeah. And going like, hey, honey, yeah, but I'm helping saving the world here. Exactly. <laughs> one sip at a time. One rum at a time. Yeah. So uh, so basically, that's uh, Robert has created this little paradise not far from the Kruger Park. So, so even before we really started getting known out in the big world, a lot of people would drop by because on their way to, to their safaris, their photo safaris, to see the elephants and the lions and all that, they would... Uh, Say, let's go get sloshed first. Well, before, actually... <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe there's a few who did that. Uh, exactly. But there were also a lot that actually just... Uh, brought back bottles uh, back yeah. to, to their home countries with them. Uh, so, yeah, no, but it, it's this it's this journey, and our rums keep evolving. So uh, people say, oh, so your high ester rums, what are the esters at? And um, I was just rereading some an article about the Appetition Velier Moba release that was done um, a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and it says that it's 256 uh, HDLP, whatever, LM, whatever. Grams uh, per esters. hectoliter. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Something like that. Yeah, and... And when you taste it, it tastes funky. So how the hell can it only be 256? Because, you know. Usually, I mean, yeah, it's higher. Right. It should be yeah. higher. Uh, but what happens is in MOBA, you always have almost equal parts of ethylic esters. And so you've got the, the esters that are based on ethanol. And then you have the ones that are based on uh, basically bacterias. So you so, also have like the volatile components and things mm-hmm. like yeah. that as well. But, but it's like you only measure really the ethyl esters and mm-hmm. not the organic esters. Mm-hmm. And our rums normally have just as much organic esters as ethyl esters. Okay. So the, the proper mark would be for the, the Habitation Velier probably closer to 500, okay. or at least 450 than 256. Yeah. Uh, but again, we don't write anything like that on our bottles yet because Robert hasn't finished playing. I mean, we try to make each version funkier. If we can, and if it has, of course, an interest to the rum, uh, the base rum, we just try to maintain the the quality and make sure that, yeah, 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 as far as we can, because we're still batch, we're still craft, and it's all 
you know, slightly different each time. Yeah. I think and, that's one of the fun things, though, you know, about trying new distilleries as a rum lover. You know, you're not going to get necessarily uh, the consistency that you get from distilleries that have been doing it for, for decades or centuries in some cases. But you get to kind of go on that journey with mm-hmm. them as they grow. And so if you find people like, you know, you're going to run into some producers who maybe aren't as talented or aren't as dedicated to rum. And so it's not as fun of a journey. But when you find the ones that are obsessed with rum, like yeah. a MOBA, for example, yeah. seeing how they change and tweak and evolve and that kind of thing, to me, is a really fun part of the process as a consumer, even if what you're going to get, the next bottle might not be quite the same, the same. as the first yeah. one. Yeah. No, and, and I, I think that there are a lot of, um, there are more guys like Robert out there than you will actually think. It's just that they have other considerations to take care of. So, for example, I, we were talking about Richard Seal and Foursquare mm-hmm. uh, and um, Great Rums, but we're in a whole different scale. Yeah. So, uh, when he tweaks his rums and does whatever he does to make his rum evolve, uh, you see the results 12 years later. Right. Uh, Mm -hmm. Whereas since we, well, first of all, because pure sugar cane juice rums, mm, it's difficult to say this because, but they kind of age faster Mm. uh, because they're more fragile rums, not as stable rums as molasses rums are. Mm -hmm. Because that, because the way Robert cuts them when they come out of the still and because of the way that we reach our barrels, we can basically make a good, decent aged rum in like a couple of years. Uh, When you you say it ages faster, it's basically like a way of saying it's going to take on characteristics from the oak or or whatever you put it in. At at a quicker rate. At a quicker Mm -hmm. rate, yeah. Mm -hmm. Much much quicker rate. I mean, look at – we're talking bourbon. Look at uh, some of the biggest bourbon producers in the world. Okay, or Kentucky rye whiskey or Kentucky Mm -hmm. whiskey, sorry, whiskey like Jack Daniels. Uh, Uh, I mean, hey, they they have – First use barrels, they char them tough. They use them for two years, and then you got a bottle of Jack. Yeah, whatever you think. Sometimes some other versions of Jack Daniels in the, than their regular bottle is better, uh, of course. But uh, that's with a you know a pretty rough spirit that they put in and transform into something cr- yeah. quite okay in only two years' time. And when you have something that's even nicer being put into the barrels, uh-huh. then you can actually do the same kind of transformation and even create an even nicer product on a short-term basis. The only thing is, from the get-go, what we put into the barrel is cut more severely. So you've got less heads and less tails into the barrel. So mm, basically, what you're okay. putting into the barrel is already drinkable rum. Yeah. Mm. Uh, whereas if uh, we were supposed to, I mean, some people said to me, wouldn't it be fun to make a MOBA rum 10 years old? And I was like, yeah, it could be fun. But then we would have to basically put a lot of shit in it. And then people look, look at me like, what do you mean by that? You know, that sounds weird. Well, hmm, if you want to put a rum in a tropical climate for 10 years, you will have a lot of angel shares or right. you will have to, you have to right. make a lot of right. barrels and then consolidate the barrels because after 10 years, especially uh, the way that we store our rums in, in South Africa with the kind of um, temperatures that are there and the very low humidity, mm-hmm. uh, we have uh, some pretty high angel shares. So you won't make your cuts as tighter necessarily if you're going to... No, no, no. Yeah. You'll put, yeah. you'll, you'll, I wouldn't say you'll put in base rum. You won't try to kill anybody. Right. But <laughs> you will only take off you know the, the two worst mm-hmm. parts extremes. of it, yeah. extremes and then you will let your barrel do the rest of the work for you mm-hmm. i mean there uh, is, got it there is a reason why in whiskey they have a minimum age on stuff is because in the good old days whiskey uh unaged whiskey i know that you're not supposed to call unaged whiskey whiskey right, right. moonshine we yeah. won't tell anyone 
but you can <laughs> you you can make great moonshine. There's not a problem with that. And if you make great moonshine, you don't have to age your moonshine so long. If you make crap moonshine, you have to age it for long. Mm -hmm. So that's my philosophy. And of course, then it all depends on the quality of barrels you're doing. It all right. depends on a lot of that. But uh, I mean, in the last six months, I've been traveling around. Well, actually, since January, I started traveling again. Mm -hmm. And it's been a very fun ride to travel when there's nobody traveling anywhere. Like empty <laughs> airports. And, you know, hey, I'm there for business. And, uh, uh, you business know, guy. Yeah, exactly. Did, did, a, did a little tourism on the weekends between uh, meetings and stuff and just going to these incredible places in uh, in Central America and Belize and Mexico mm -hmm. and in Dominican Republic and whatever, where there was just nobody there. And yeah. I mean, it, it was a great time. What I was saying that is I tried all these different distilleries and I saw these this rum, tried these rums from the same distillery that has been made by the traditionally same recipe for the last 60 years. Nothing has changed. Nothing ever will. Uh, it's always the same, same amount of fermentation. Everything is the same. Mm -hmm. It's not like a crazy operation like the one that Robert runs with MOBA, <laughs> where he will always try new things and yeah. Yeah. always try to push it and see what the difference in the climate and the temperature will do and all that. No, no, these guys have been doing same, 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 same for 60 yeah. years. And you try a rum from 2020 that's awesome, that's already drinkable, and you try one of their rums from 2017 that needs quite some more years before sure. it becomes good. But it's the same rum. Yeah. What changed here in this particular case? Only the barrels. Right. So, again, you can speed up the whole process by using really good barrels. The bourbon industry learned it long before the rum industry. Right. Uh, of course, by using all the used barrels for a long, long period of time, you do develop some extra taste molecules and some e extra stuff that can be very interesting, is very interesting. Mm -hmm. But but again, sometimes the difference between a one-year-old rum and a seven-year-old rum is just a good barrel. This kind of goes back to something that John and I have brought up on the show multiple times, and that's just that when it comes to numbers, whether you're talking about age or ester counts or whatever, more... It, doesn't always necessarily mean better. Right. Um, it's all like th there's so many different factors that can play within, mm -hmm. you know, all of those elements, whether it's the amount of time in a barrel, what barrel is used, what kind of rum went into the barrel. Um, and, you know, the same thing with, with uh, ester counts as well. Yeah. Um, and at what ABV did you put in the rum in the barrel? Exactly. And did, did some producers put something else into the barrels? Yeah, there you go. In the mm -hmm. meantime, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. added water or a little bit of sugar or, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. What what happened during the way? So you have all these variants. That's why the rum thing, as we started saying, is a never-ending story. It's that, like, whenever you think you know, you don't know. Right. Uh, I mean, you have uh, products that move around in weird ways around the world, and suddenly when you start thinking that you actually know who's buying rum from who and who's supplying who and yeah. whatever – basically at the end, even though you studied the thing for a year, you realize you can't really prove anything because all those rum might just be sold right. locally and actually nobody's doing anything illegal because on those bottles that they're selling, they're not saying that it's from the country where the brand is from and you have all these little quirks and things going on. Right. But so, isn't, isn't that exactly kind of, well, I won't speak for everybody, but for yeah. me, that's yeah. part of what makes it so interesting is this, this whole... Is field of rum and and how much there is to it and to your kind of point of the never-ending story of learning there's so much you can learn and you feel like okay i've i've graduated to a level of understanding here and then mm -hmm. as you put so eloquently earlier then you find out you don't know shit so <laughs> it, it's 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 a great 
weird, odd dynamic of a feeling of you just want to continue to explore this environment and all these different things. And that's that's a great thing. For me, that is such a part of the allure well, of, of rum drinking in the hobby in the first place. No, no, yeah. for me too. For me, that's, that's, that's it all. And also, there's, I mean... I'm not saying everybody in the industry is like that. There are some quite notable exceptions, but most people in in our business um, are a lot more uh, open and nicer than in other industries. Let's say it like that. Yeah. Even than in other spirits, I always say nowadays. I say I don't really know shit, but I know people that know everything about their little field. <laughs> and thanks they know to their fact, shit. <laughs> exactly. Well, they're little pieces of the puzzle, right? right? And so thanks to me knowing these guys and thanks to WhatsApp, I can call them up in two seconds and I get the info. And suddenly on the other hand, on the other side of the world uh, in Venezuela, I have my friend who's running more than 200,000 barrels and who's been doing rum aging in barrels for the last 45 years. For your information, I'm 45 years old. This guy has been doing that stuff for as long as (laughs) I've been alive. Amazing. So he kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah. So when I have any kind of question on what happens to rum, if it's overly oaky and what can you do and what can you, I mean, all these silly answers that we normally have to try to find out like little rum Sherlock Holmes um, <laughs> running around trying elementary. to find <laughs> elementary, <laughs> inter- elementary, my dear worthy. Yes. Um, so, but, but the, that's the whole thing. I mean, for example, I didn't know this. I had, a, I had my doubts. I knew that it might be a thing, but do you know that the barrel giveth and the barrel taketh away? I've heard this before. That comes from a famous book, I think. Okay. <laughs> no, but so, what, what do you mean by that? Which means that, uh, so a barrel will give you tannins and coloring and all of that to your rums because of the wood and the interaction between the wood, more or less toasted, and the spirits, right? Mm-hmm. So the higher ABV that you put on the spirit, the more interaction you will have, but the mm-hmm. faster it will destroy the wood. So really big companies want to water it down to like around 50-something, so that the alcohol doesn't damage the wood and blah, blah, blah. This is like the basic training on barrel aging. Then what happens is if you age some rum for too long, it becomes what I uh, what we call a too tannic, like in, in right. wine. You know, like these red wines that will color your teeth all red and right. make you look yeah. horrible the next morning. Too tannic rums is a big enemy of mine because for me, a rum should... I know this is just an image, but it should never be more than 50% wood influence and 50% rum. Mm. Whenever mm. the rum, the wood starts going over the, the rum uh, and basically you can only taste the wood. Right. Yeah. I mean, hmm, then I'd rather drink a 40-year-old Armagnac. It's cheaper and same wood thing going on. So when sometimes when you have a uh, rum that's too woody, you can actually put it into a barrel, what I like to call a... Uh, a dead barrel, a barrel that's not giving any tannins anymore, a barrel that's not being used anymore. One that's and been the, used a lot previously, probably. Mm-hmm. A lot, yeah. right? And then that barrel will actually soak up some of the ah, tannins again. Hmm. Interesting. And that's the funniest little, little thing. trick I didn't there. know that, yeah. Yeah. The barrel taketh away. Yeah. Exactly. So you can actually have... And that can be a good thing. That can be a great thing because you can have some stuff, you know, like a bourbon or a rum or whatever you have lying around. And it's been lying around for like, too long 
and it's gone over. I mean, gone over in the sense that it's been overly influenced by the wood and the tenants are too present. In our case, the reason why we did it was the rum that we had aged, well, not aged, that we had infused with staves of American oak that we toast over the barbecue and so on. Uh After a year and something, it had become uh, quite, well, it wasn't clear to see through it. How do you say this? It was murky. Mm -hmm. And it was murky and it didn't look nice. And the coloring was a bit off because of the murkiness. Mm -hmm. So I called up my friend. I called up Robert. I said, Robert, get us some dead barrels. I mean, get us some really old, really used barrels. He said, well, I got a couple of them lying around, ex-whiskey barrels. And those Mm -hmm. are the ones that we now use to finish off our American oaking. Because mm-hmm. they do taste a little bit like whiskey, so you do get something from the barrel, but you don't get tannins. Right. Because before they came to South Africa to be used to make some great South yeah. African whiskey, they've been used in the bourbon industry, and then they've probably been used in the Scottish whiskey industry, and yeah, so yeah. on, whatever. They've been around. They they've been around. Yeah. So basically, putting our slightly murky rum into that then made it come out with this beautiful caramel color. Uh, cleared and it up slightly, some. Cleared it up straight up. The color just nice. Add a little hint of whiskey, so a little bit more complexity, which wasn't bad either. And well, it did its job. And yeah, that's how we can actually do nice colors and do well. We have to do nice colors and nice things by doing blends or using the right kind of barrels, right? Because we don't use caramel additives in our rums, so or sugar or anything, as I said before. So yeah, I'm actually sipping on that right now, the American oak one, and it it is fantastic, uh, just as the base product. But I I have to say, what I'm really interested in, and we actually did make this promise at the start of the interview. What I'm really interested in is when does uh, those uh, Valier and Holmes Key releases? When are they going to hit? And I also wanted to kind of ask you, how was that and working out that process of doing? You mentioned working with Luca on some of the Valier stuff, but uh, I was curious to see how uh, you came to that and and, and also with Holmes Key, how that came about and when when we're going to get those. So basically, as we said before, in our business, we're much more open and honest about what's actually going on than in most other uh, parts of the spirits world because we've got nothing to hide in such a small little world. We all know each other and everyone knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, So basically, as I told you, I got interested in mobile from the beginning thanks to uh, Luca and thanks to Alexander Gabriel and thanks to Ian Burrell and thanks to all these guys. So all these guys had had a, had, have had a lookout uh, on what uh, Robert and Moba is doing for all of these years. And of course, I played my little part of it too. Yeah, uh, help spreading the the Moba gospel around the world and uh, preaching to to the right choir. Uh, but anyway, so uh, I mean, I found our customers for Moba in Taiwan where. They actually love Moba Rum because it reminds them of Funky Baiju. It's just much better and much cheaper. Uh, so win-win for them. Uh, I made well. I helped uh, as far as I could uh, Moba grow over these three and a half years, and um, we are now established at least in the rum geek community in Europe mm-hmm. and. Yep some part of the rest of the world, US, Canada, um, Australia, a little bit. They know about us over there. They want us over there. Yep. They're not getting us yet, but then, then, they, they want us. So the Habitation Vellier, the first batch that we did with them, uh, the four-year-old ex-bourbon cask, uh, has already been released. It was already pre-sold to all the stores and all the customers pre-bought it and all that because I made a deal with Luca that we were going to put it to market at a very reasonable price uh, to get most people interested in it. 
it, it actually afterwards I realized it, it was too low a price because this is a four-year-old and it was only a couple of euros more expensive than our two-year-olds. But mm. anyway, we didn't have the packaging cost and all of that. So anyway, uh, so the Habitation Melier, a couple of them are still dropping in in Singapore, Hong Kong, uh, a little bit around the world. I just heard that Sweden got some a couple of weeks ago, uh, but in France, it's been sold out for months now. Uh, and Germany, Czech Republic, is sold out for, for a long time ago. But we actually did prepare another bottling with, with Luca, uh, a four-year-old French cask. And are, are these are these releases um, with, with Vellier, are these all that time in a, the cask, or are you also doing the oak stave glass no, no, cask? This is, this is all uh, cask-aged. Yeah, this is all cask. Okay. We don't Got have it. that... We don't have that problem anymore with bad barrels. We can actually source good barrels. Uh, we can get most anything we want. So, no, Robert is having a lot of fun with different barrel types. Awesome. But the, what, hap- what, what happened was th- these rum- rums actually came a little bit about by the fact that guys like or independent bottles like Bellier like older bottles. Mm. Just, you know, it's a numbers game. And for us, what happened was we normally don't have those kind of numbers, but uh, COVID came up. So that kind of slowed our sales down for about a year and something. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of that, these were new barrels that we were trying out, uh, like a 100% ex-bourbon barrel mm-hmm. aging. We hadn't done that before. Yeah. So if we were to bottle it ourselves, we would have to bottle it as a new thing and we already got a pretty wide range right. um then we had the you four got, year what, old. nine or ten different different uh, bottles right uh, not quite a little bit well actually if you take all the independent bottlings now we're it's gonna okay. be more than that uh so so we have all these uh, different barrels um well but very small quantities mm-hmm. this is what people don't really get we don't have a hundred thousand barrels we have right. a couple of a couple of hundred barrels you know so but we have a variety of barrels so then we did the french cask and the thing was we didn't bottle it after two years because it hadn't gotten the color of the other batches and since mm-hmm. we don't use caramel again well we had to make it age further and then suddenly it became three-year-old and it became four-year-old and then what did we do with it we can't bottle it as a regular french cask mm-hmm. because those are two years old yeah so and this stuff now has got a greater value because it's older what do we do with it well luca would you like that and of course he would very much like that he he told me because luca goes under a lot of names nowadays and and he said to me that the name that he preferred to go under was just a rum librarian because he wants to like create a library of all these rums that are being produced all over the world and i can totally see it and get it because rum especially the rums that we like from small batch producers and stuff like that are gone way too fast and we never really get to enjoy them as many times times as we would right but that's also something totally luxurious about that fact that we actually have a hobby where things disappear it's like a, a little bit like the foodies that right. go to a restaurant and tie some great chefs you know great menu and and that will be maybe a one-off and you know the next I week mean, uh, if you look at the habitation Velier lineup though it really is kind of like a library in that right. especially like a lot of the stuff single marks that you never would have had previously outside of you know blended with other things um getting to try them you know in that state so rum librarian is an interesting way of looking at it (laughs) yeah so we did that and um again i did some um american rum fests a couple of years ago now Mm -hmm. time flies and um well in a certain part of the rum community uh people really enjoyed it and for other people, this was way too crazy. But uh, <laughs> for most people, actually, that actually come to these small fairs, they, they 
well, they enjoyed it. And if not all of them, at least some of them. It isn't a quiet taste. And I mean, we don't all have the same palettes or the same uh, likes. Is that where you met Eric from Holmes Key? Yeah, exactly. Got it. So we started talking about uh, what he was doing and how he got into rum and his whole background. And, you know, if ever I got something from MOBA that could, in, you know, that, you know, could fit in, then he would uh, love to work with us. So we talked about it and talked about it and talked about it. And then, you know, all these dealings, normally sometimes you make a deal in like one phone call, but then there are so many details to take care of. For example, Eric with Holmes Key, they, they go with single barrels. So we had to uh, barrel each of our barrels in plastic barrels before shipping them off. You couldn't just, just you send it all in one container. That wouldn't have worked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, couldn't, we couldn't send it in 1,000 liter ISO tanks like we did to Luca. Uh, so where he just got various barrels into one thing. Right. And again, a lot of us uh, rum nerds, geeks, we go like, oh, but then it's not a single barrel and all that. Well, let me just tell you, when the producer is a really small producer that really loves what he do, do uh, it doesn't really matter because he will have chosen the barrels that actually fit together, that actually work together. But again, uh, Holmes Key's uh, so, um, whole idea it's, is it's different. It's part of the thing, right? Yeah. It's part of the thing. Yeah. So uh, basically... Uh, we sold some barrels to, to Eric and he, well, before we ever get to that part, it's always a long thing about sending samples back and forth, yeah, trying yeah. it, mm-hmm. having different panels trying. I mean, it's not something you do overnight. Right. And normally the greatest part is when you can just be there at the barrel and try it and say, I want that one. Right. But again, That's like the, the romantic idealized version. You're, you're yeah, walking among the casks and trying yeah. it straight from it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No. And, and sometimes it happens. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Uh, sometimes uh, rules and regulations and taxes don't want people to be running around opening up barrels and trying trying them up, depending on which country they are. Mm-hmm. Um, are sometimes it's hard to get to South Africa during a pandemic. Mm-hmm. For example, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. so Eric chose some uh, barrels uh, that he really enjoyed that are different from what Luca chose, so that nobody's doing the same. Mm-hmm. So these are South African whiskey cask, 100%, uh, also four years. Basically, these are all part of the same rums that were put into aging at the same time, which basically was three years before the pandemic. And again, same thing. We could have done the whiskey cask ourselves, but then we had a legal issue in France with our French importer because the word whiskey has to be smaller than the word rum. And then what is it? And what kind of cask? And anyway, there was a lot of... The damn French TTB. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, There weren't big problems, but it was just small nuisances and it just dragged on forever. Yeah. And then it was like, hey, it's much easier to do uh, to do an independent bottling. And Eric's got a, a good crowd of fans that likes his bottlings and all that. Uh, I'm one of them. I think that they're every, all the ones that I've tasted are, are really good and really interesting. I, I was just at New York Rum Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, Eric was there and he, I think he had one or just one or two bottles of the MOBA release, yeah. which when you when you see it, if you're listening, it says South Africa on the the front, mm-hmm. and there were other people, you know, attendees at the festival just coming up to me and like 
almost like shoving their little their glass like <laughs> up to my nose saying like have you tried this yet have you tried this yet um and that was my first moba experience actually um, wow I, I, I hadn't finally been, i know finally exactly um because i hadn't been to the festivals where you guys were prior to that and, uh-huh. and yeah so that was my first experience and it's safe to say like i I want to experience more of it (laughs) (laughs) no but 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 that's the whole thing about moba rum i mean well first of all i I don't know if it's the rum or it's just my personality it's probably a mixture of the both but i I, normally when i'm at fairs i always walk around with a glass of moba in my hand so that everybody can smell it and everybody can uh, (laughs) smell you coming yeah they can smell me coming in a good way Um, i can attest to that that's how i met you with you walking around with that glass around in the aisle yeah (laughs) and the whole thing is well first of all the reason why I love the rum world and also the cigar world a little bit uh, is that um, – and food and, well, the finer things in life – is that all these things are really great when you share them with other people. Yeah, And, and it's, it, it, that's when it becomes fun. And sometimes when we don't have other choices, we share them over a computer screen, mm-hmm. uh, but we're still sharing. We're still getting this experience and we're yeah. – we're, and, and this is – if somebody gave me the best bottle of rum in the world, whatever that might be, or the most expensive or whatever you want to say, and then they said as a condition I would have to drink it all by myself in a closet, uh, I would go like, ah, nah, thank you, but no thank you. Because who I'll the choose the regular, the regular rum with people around, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh. Well, well, maybe not that regular, but hey. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, something nice that we can share and something that we can, uh-huh. we can, we can talk about and, and, and share experiences about. And this is what MOBA brings out in people because it's so unexpected when you try it first time because you hear pure sugarcane juice, so you're thinking Martinique, Guadeloupe, or Cachaca. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you hear high ester, so you are thinking Jamaica. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are thinking, you know, heavier rums, maybe even all to the extreme of Caronis and mm-hmm. Guyana rums and all that. And then you finally try it, and then it all comes together, but in such a it's just different. nice way and it's yeah. such such so, a different experience mm-hmm. that it really makes people want to share it. Yeah. And I mean, seriously, in most fairs, you know, I get one guy out of 60 that goes like, oh, I don't like this rum. And then I'm like, oh, thank God you don't. And it looks like me like, what do you mean? Well, we make so little of it. So if everybody liked it, <laughs> we would have a problem. Right. Uh, no, but uh, more seriously, sometimes you get unexpected fans. Like uh, on one of the Miami Rum Fests, I met these Cuban guys, mm-hmm. young guys, really, really nice guys. And um, we were talking Spanish and all that. And uh, uh, since my wife being ex, well, ex-wife being Venezuelan and mm-hmm. uh, all of that, well, we kind of have a slight animosity to Cubans coming in and invading Venezuela or actually controlling the country. Love There's some history it. there. There's some history there. Um, and then, um, so I told, told these guys, oh, you won't like this rum because you're from Cuba, right? So you don't know about real rums. I was, I was, I was just taking the piss <laughs> oh, out of You're them. pushing their buttons a little. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I was having fun. I mean, that's the cool thing about, you know, small brands and being independent uh, contractor is that we don't have to be corporate all the time. <laughs> right. But so these guys, they came up to me and, and they tried to rum and, and, they, and they like it. And I was like almost in shock. I had expected these guys to be, you know, fans of 37.5% alcohol. So what's that? 75 proof mm-hmm. light, light sugar dosed rums with absolutely no interest. And these guys were like, no, we love this. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, you got to explain how you guys can love this. <laughs> and then he, they both said to us, well, when we were growing up, we would go to Cuba to visit our grandmother. 
I'm like, okay, why? Okay. Where is this going? Yeah, exactly. And then they go like, and, you know, the moonshine that we drink up in the mountains, uh, well, that they make up in the forest, you know, hidden away and right. all that, uh-huh. that's all pure sugarcane juice rums. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Pure, still pure yep. sugarcane juice rums. <laughs> yeah. So basically, these guys on all their holidays in Cuba had been growing up drinking pure sugarcane juice rums. Mm-hmm. So that they weren't at all into this whole, you know, molasses Lighter body, more neutral lighter tasting. Lighter body, more yeah. neutral tasting rums mm-hmm. that are made for a Cuba Libre, right. let's say. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so I was like, oh, really? I mean, this is fun. So you discover, as I said again, you think you know stuff, but then you don't. Now, recently, I've seen that some, uh, some of the Havana Club bottlings that they did for their bartender crews and stuff actually had, says on the backside that it is part pure sugarcane juice rum. Uh, mm. yeah. Wow, interesting. It's, uh, it is interesting. So apparently there is... This pure sugarcane juice rum traditions in most places where they do rums is just not known. Right. And it might be a local thing and it might be whatever. But if the place uh, is growing sugarcane, at some point, someone was probably making some rum with the juice. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, even if it wasn't official. Exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, there's a tradition of, you know, quote unquote moonshine and basically mm-hmm. everywhere where there's been distillation. And so if right. the stuff that's being farmed there is sugarcane, they're going to have that tradition. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've covered some of the things that are new coming out soon. Uh, the, the Velier, which is available in some places already, the Holmes key, uh, which our American listeners should probably be able to find at some point soon. And um, there will be four different uh, releases. Okay. I think, uh, because there are four different barrels. So Got it. if you're a group of friends, buy one of each release at least Collect and then have a tasting and yeah. see if there is any difference. Or if there is, for me, the difference are minute, but you know, um, again, it's fun I didn't, to compare. it is fun yeah. to compare. And then afterwards there will be a Canadian, uh, bottling as well coming out. Okay. Mm. Uh, from my good friend, uh, Carl Mozamba, uh, because again, they have a problem of sourcing rums from the U S so it's not enough to get them into the U S we also got to get some, uh, help to our Canadian brothers up there. Yeah. Excellent. What about the the MOBA bottlings themselves from the distillery? Any of those getting into plans for new markets or anything like that in, well, the, in the coming years? The, the thing is, we are, but um, we are growing, I wouldn't say too rapidly, but yeah, almost. Uh, at least demand on our products is growing mm-hmm. right. quite fast. So we are just trying to keep up with European demand. I'm hoping, like... We've been working on the UK market to get in there. And okay. normally we have everything in place to do that. And the products are ready and everything. So it's just a question about a couple of gentlemen agreeing on, on, on details. Uh, and we're getting more and more demand from um, Asia right now. So all through COVID, actually, my best customers were in Taiwan because they didn't lock down at all. Right. Yeah. Uh, I heard they had things really under control over there. Yeah, until they didn't. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, basically, um, they kept buying all through COVID, which was really, you know, kind of a lifesaver. And they really love our stuff. But yeah, so we just got some orders from Hong Kong and Singapore and all of that. So things are excellent. They're moving. And the thing is, uh, we need more capacity before we start uh, getting into the U.S. market. So I'm guessing that the next year or two, we'll keep on doing independent bottlings. Uh, Just keep with, sending some barrels over here every now yeah. and then. Yeah, well, we can, exactly. We can, we can survive on that in the meantime. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> and also, you, you're really getting some really great stuff. So, you know, 
you, you're not worse off for that. Yeah, <laughs> it's just that you don't have full range uh, sure. of bottling to try. And the the beautiful labels that you guys make right there at uh, at the distillery, yeah. right? That was yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, more yeah. more homemade uh, gadgets oh, yeah, and machinery. But, but, but again, that's the whole problem. I mean, right. uh, you know, well, one day we could do a whole hour of podcast that just goes on about uh, how the bottle is made and yeah. I mean, how corks are made and how the labels are made and how the laser engraved labels are made and how the boxes right. are handmade i mean it's just so crazy but that's that's robert i mean the thing has to be the way it has to be but again when you want to do products at that level of craftsmanship mm-hmm. and where it's not just all made in china it just takes so long so be- between the moment that we get an order in until the, the order is ready even if i try to push them to be pre-prepared and already have the liquids at least in some of the bottles and it it can take you know up to three months before the product is ready to be shipped mm-hmm. and then shipment is normally one month but now with covid and less ships on the sea and and much higher prices it, yep. it can take uh, two months so suddenly we're talking five months from when the product is ordered to the product is on its way there and I mean, it's really not an easy industry. The cool thing about it is demand is so much higher than production right now. So it's like if anybody is looking at this from a purely money perspective, yeah, go ahead, guys, just invest. I mean, your dollar isn't worth anything. The euro isn't worth anything. <laughs> they printed way too many bills. The only thing that's worth anything anymore is rum. Mobile rum, yeah. <laughs> Amen. So, so, you know, that's uh, against inflation, rum is a good thing, except you might end up drinking it. Um, yeah, don't, don't, please don't, if, if you're going to buy it and not drink it, just please leave it for those of us who want to drink it, okay? Don't, exactly. don't just buy it up to hoard it to use as currency uh, <laughs> yes. when the apocalypse hits. I, I mean, um, and a lot of people do that right now, but, but on the other hand, during COVID, and that was like, one of the only cool things about lockdown was I saw my bottles popping all over the world. I mean, I saw pictures of guys from Australia, US, uh, Canada, Asia, whatever, going like, okay, I was saving this bottle of MOBA that took me like two months to get. <laughs> right. But hey, the world is ending anyway, exactly. so I might as well open it. Yep. You know? so, it's MOBA uh, time. It's MOBA time, exactly. <laughs> uh, and, and yeah, so so the, so the cool thing is a lot of people dug into their uh, their Their stash. Their stash, exactly. And that's exactly what happened. I mean, the whole tw- 2020, all my buyers, everybody was like stunned. All the big orders had been canceled or wait, uh, put on hold. Everything was like, what's happening? We can't handle this. And then at the end of 2020, basically they all discovered they were running out of stock and nobody had any rum left. Mm-hmm. Ask Gary Kay. I mean, suddenly it was like his bottlings that since they are at a slightly higher price point because they are slightly more interesting and luxurious, yeah. meaning more tropical age and not just a regular shit and high ABVs and mm-hmm. all of that. And he does a great, great uh, work at sourcing them. Um, well, they were talked highly about and all that, but people weren't buying them that fast. Or if they were buying them, they weren't rebuying them. They were just drinking them slowly, you know, enjoying them, which is fine. But then the apocalypse hit and everybody was like, hey, exactly. we got to get our rum in. Oh, yeah. shit, that, that bottle I was saving for what my kid's 21st, for? 21st birthday, I might as well drink it. I'll buy another <laughs> one. Um, and, um, yeah, so, so when people – people, meaning buyers, distributors and all that, discovered that they had no more stock. Things just went crazy end 2020, start 2021. I mean, before the end of February, I had already sold all the rum that I should have sold in 2020 and all the rum that I had wanted to sell in 2021. So you called Robert and you said, I'm done. Plus, plus, (laughs) plus all of our stock that we didn't know what to do with. Wow. So it was like... 
Uh, and of course, after that was months of work and getting everything on yeah. the road and transport yeah. and shipping yeah. and all that. But I knew basically at the end of February that it was done deal. We didn't have any more stock, to, stock mm-hmm. left. And that's why I've been now talking to other producers around the world that uh, uh, do this, that have, let's say, the same ideas about production as Robert has and all that. And um, I hope that one day um, next year to do a project about terroir rums where uh, sourcing a certain amount of white unaged pure sugarcane juice, pure but still wild fermented rum from each area that has a different terroir. Ah. So super geeky, super nerdy stuff. But Almost uh, a rum library of your own. Love. Yeah. 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 Well, at least like a, 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 a quick notebook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a rum notebook. Yeah. 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 I don't have uh, the pretension to, to do in you know a couple of years what Luke has been doing over you know a quarter of a decade. You don't have uh, to well, do the whole yeah. card catalog system and everything. Yeah. A library yeah, is I, a big, big I pain. I, I'm just, I just want to have, you know, people taste difference between as similar products as possible i mean they're still more or less the same right all with not not uh, using yeast so that you don't have the yeast interfering mm-hmm. uh, with the, the natural taste of the area of the mm-hmm. terroir which is a mixture between the earth wind and fire no, the climate <laughs> the, the 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 ground the land everything yeah uh, it is the first and, day of september speaking of oh, earth wind and fire hey <laughs> so so uh, the whole thing is um, I actually got a lot of producers to uh, go along with this this project with me. And um, when I'm just waiting for some zones to actually uh, reach the harvest time so okay. that they can make it. Can, can you can you share who any of those producers are or is that a secret for now? No, I mean, again, nothing is never really a secret. So they didn't manage to do it this time, but they really wanted to uh, – Kopali in Belize. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. They do uh, organic pure sugarcane juice right. rums. Um, Canopy really water. Exactly. And actually, it's, very, it's I mean, they have a, in the group, there's this uh, eco lodge hotel kind of thing going on. Right. And it is one of the most magnificent places I've ever been to in my life. I've seen and pictures. I grew, it looks and I grew beautiful. up on Mauritius. I grew up on Mauritius. <laughs> so it's like my expectations are kind of high. Yeah. I lived in Venezuela. I mean, uh-huh. Duh. But this place was like, wow, this is uh, up there with the best of them. All right, adding yeah. it, I, uh, adding it to my travel list. Yeah. So um, anyway, um, I uh, figured out a name for them. I, I started off uh, with just like a project name called them Rolls Royce Rums because they are you know handmade and, and kind of expensive. Uh-huh. Uh, because you're actually asking your producers to take risks producing these rums. They're right. not sure that they will come up well when you're doing wild fermentations and all that. But now uh, we are calling them. Um, I'm calling them. I got a little hint from a, a Dutch friend. We're calling them, I'm calling them Paradise Rums. Oh. Because uh, Le Paradis is actually the aging cellar in Cognac. So it's got something to do with spirits. Okay. spirits. Uh-huh. Terroir is very French, so Paradise, Paradis, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but especially because all the distilleries that are making these rums are in naturally beautiful places mm-hmm. since they're all in uh, doing organic sugarcane. So we're all in like Warm. semi-tropical Tropical. jungle yeah. in jungle environment. Moba right. said is one of the most beautiful distilleries in the world for the setting and yeah. all layout of it and yeah so uh belize of course moba will be making one yes but robert is waiting for um, summertime so that means winter time for the rest right. of us southern hemisphere uh, southern hemisphere exactly so for he should be making it for us in for me in december uh, when the sugar percentage is the highest in the cane so he can make the most extreme naturally from okay 
Very cool. Pure pastilla, yeah. Shalong Bay is on as well in oh, Thailand. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Okay. And they are now actually doing a little bottle uh, that is at all from the get-go, actually, a wild fermentation because uh, Marine, a couple of years ago, she's a wonderful woman who makes wonderful rum. So the brand is Shalong Bay. That's from mm-hmm. Phuket in Thailand. They open up now. You can visit. Um <laughs> So anyway, she makes great rum, but she had me taste this um, wild fermentation rum a couple of years ago on a Whiskey Live show. Whiskey Live is a whiskey and rum fest here in Paris. Mm -hmm. She had me try this um, wild fermented rum, and I was like, wow, that is so good. That is so interesting. Please bottle this. This is what me and all my geeky rum friends, we want to drink. And she was like, really? And anyway, she came out with the bottle last year, so you can actually buy it. But what she did for me was slightly different. So uh, I asked her, I am a little devilish. I, I asked her to push the fermentation process. Ah, and she was like, yeah, You're really but, pulling uh, strings at some of these places. Yeah. This is yeah. like really custom ordered. No, no, exactly. And it's like, come on, take a chance. Come on. You can, <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> Let it go just a little in. longer. Yeah. Yeah. A little longer. <laughs> and if it starts slowing down, feed it. Feed it with some fresh sugarcane. Come on. Yeah, I'm trying to push people to make the most extreme sets of rums. Again, it's not to try to make, you know, the next big. Uh, cocktail rum or anything like that mm-hmm. it's just because uh, when people like us like something we want to try to see what is the purest what is the most natural mm-hmm. right what is what really happens when you do it here yeah what happens when you do it here what will this give you will this actually give you something extra or yeah. we just dream just dreaming about something that doesn't work you know yeah. and um i'm trying to get as many producers on board i mean i want i'm hoping to get australia i have a uh, preliminary talks with guys from hawaii and uh, uh-huh. so uh, i got florida on board as well oh really mm-hmm. who's in, who in florida mm-hmm. well <laughs> i can't say <laughs> is that uh is it kohana in hawaii I I'm actually hoping for Kohana, okay, uh, okay, uh, because they've just started having their own sugarcane and their own thing and all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping on Kohana, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, if any producers are listening to this and they want to get in on the experiment, just contact yeah. uh, Knut, right? Yeah, exactly. I got my email address up there. Well, and the whole thing is, besides the experiment, it's also to develop all of these producers because these will be like tasting kits that yeah. will be sold all around the world. Mm-hmm. Right? Like miniature bottles or really small bottles. Right. We're discussing this, but there's a maximum amount, so you can't make that many. But all the rum geeks and all the rum stores and everybody who's in the business and all the rummeliers and sommeliers and whatever will want to get a hold of one of these things. It's going to be a hot this, item. A very hot item. So, I mean, it's already pre-sold. We don't, I don't really have to worry about any of this. And that's the really cool thing about yeah. now about rum. If you do something that's interesting enough, quali- high quality enough, people mm-hmm. will buy it. It's I mean, there's no question. Yeah. And, then, and the price is like, it's not an issue anymore. I mean, uh, here in Berlin Rum Fest, I was with my friends from Rum Nation, mm-hmm. an independent Danish Italian bottler. Yep. They had me try a Versailles still 30-year-old Guiana rum. Not and cheap. And nobody was really good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then I asked, so, like, you just uh-huh, I had a good feeling about, so what's the price? Uh-huh. And they went like, well, it's probably going to retail for 650 euros. Mm. And it was like, yeah, who cares? <laughs> I mean, seriously, there's, 300, there's 340 bottles of it. Yeah. It's yeah. a 30-year-old 30, 30 
partly tropical, not whole tropical, but mm-hmm. okay. Uh, from uh, a historical still and stuff mm-hmm. that you won't be finding mm-hmm. again uh, some sometime tomorrow, and it really tastes great. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably because it was sitting in really bad barrels for a really long time, so it didn't get overly tannic or anything. It's just beautiful, and it's definitely worth the six hundred and fifty euros. And when I listen to myself say that, I'm like. <laughs> are you doing drugs? <laughs> it's like seriously, six hundred and fifty euros. I mean, for a couple of years ago, my maximum top top dollar limit was fifty bucks. I mean, fifty bucks that for that amount of money, you could get some really good stuff. Yeah, you, st- you still can get decent stuff for that amount mm-hmm. of money, actually. But now, because of your palate gets evolved and you start tasting more and more stuff and you get more and more into it, most of the rums I drink, even when I'm broke uh it, they cost around a hundred bucks yeah and mm-hmm. you know luckily i have friends um <laughs> yeah. well canute i know we've we've kept you almost two hours yeah. and this has but been it's such a pleasure talking to you and it's such a pleasure finally i mean we did wait for this uh, i know yeah we we kept the people for, waiting for it but there was <laughs> a uh, year so that, that allowed you know some new stuff to happen give us new stuff mm-hmm. to talk about um, so yeah. much exciting things to look forward to from MOBA. Um, I, I, I can't wait to try all those releases that you mentioned. And uh, we have a tradition at the end of every episode where we do a bonus rapid fire round of questions that uh, my co-host, my esteemed co-host, John, comes up <laughs> with in advance. Um, usually does not show them to me until right before the interview. And then I have to scratch out like half of them. Um, but we kept in most of them for you because you're, you're the crazy Dane, right? Exactly. Um, so if you are up for it, uh, I will put 60 seconds on the clock and we'll run through these and see how many you can get through. Yeah. I think this 151 that I'm drinking right now is <laughs> it's the perfect companion, perfect. right? Exactly. Per- per- perfect jet fuel to get me through. <laughs> All right, Will, let's do it. All right, I've got 60 seconds and go. All right, neat or on the rocks? Neat. Column, pot, or blend? Pot. All right, aged or unaged? Unaged. Molasses or cane juice? Juice. <laughs> All right. The French word for rum and MOBA both have a silent H in them. Is yes. this merely a coincidence or is that part of a bigger plot? I, it might be part of a bigger plot. <laughs> okay. Your favorite mixed drink with MOBA? Mm, oh. uh, rum and ginger ale. Okay. Your favorite person to share a bottle of rum with? Mm, Robert Greaves. Makes Good sense. Answer. Yeah. When you're visiting the MOBA distillery, is it a requirement to bless the rains down in Africa? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's just say that in MOBA territory, they come so rarely that people are more like praying for things not to go wrong. Where does one go in France to get amazing rum? Um, We are so lucky to have great places, but a good place to start is La Table du Loup, which is a small little thing, or a nice hotel called 1802. I'm going to go to 1802 because I cannot spell or say what you said before that. Before you take a shot, do you personally shout cheers, skol, gesundheit, or prost, or something else? Skol. All right. Is it true that the unofficial theme song for MOBA is, I like to move it, move it. <laughs> you like to move it, move it. Actually, that is kind of true. <laughs> uh, I time. knew it. I knew it. Yes. I'm glad we nailed that one. All that right. was the thing I was most interested in the whole making <laughs> sure that we knew the unofficial theme song for MOBA. So thank you for that. That was a little bit of an extended edition, so we had to pack in some extra, some extra info in there. Yeah, I'm sorry um, about that. No, it's okay. But that's that's what you talk about. No, and and I'm 
going to add a little package info into that because when you take your bottle, uh, John, do you have uh, your bottle of American Oak? I do. Okay? I do. So when you read on top of the MOBA bottle, so you know on the cork it says MOBA and rum and then American Oak, and then the next line that comes right on the net it says something like le 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 rum. I see it. It's really hard to read what that says. What does that mean? Yeah. So basically, when I read this first, I was like, hey, did they misspell French writing? <laughs> uh, you the, were talking about the, the the edge that is silent in MOBA and in rum in French. Uh, yes. So actually, this is uh, actually Siswati dialect, but apparently there were some French guys running up with the Siswatis because uh, for me, that writes um, the place, the rum. Huh. Wow. Uh, but it's actually not in French. It's actually in the local African dialect. Gotcha. So, so as I said, there might be something about the bigger uh, conspiracy. That's the bigger French plot, right? There you yeah, go. Wow. Exactly. Well, Knud, uh, thanks yeah, again so thanks. much for uh, for hanging out with us. We really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, we're just looking forward to uh, seeing what comes next from MOBA. Thank you so much. And sorry about being a little bit all over the place this time, but it's like we – had we had a lot to catch up on. Yeah. Exactly. Going for such <laughs> Super a long size. time. And oh, yeah. And just to fill you up with what's going on in the rum world, uh, as you just did with the, uh, told me about you going to the New York uh, yeah. Rum Fest. So I was just in Berlin for the Berlin Rum Fest. Mm-hmm. And here next um, week, well, uh, on the 11th, you will have the Prague Rum Fest. Okay. Uh, and then right afterwards, there's a really small one uh, that apparently I'm going to uh, in some part of northern France in Nantes uh, on the 16th. Oh, wow. And then after that, you will have Whiskey Live in France again with Whiskey and Rum in Paris. Oh, you're a busy man. So, yeah, again, thank you. Finally, I mean, okay. Good to get out. Yeah. Yeah, it's good to get out. I mean, it was great staying at home with the kids and all that. And that's some of the best things in in life. But hey, they've looked at me for like more than a year now. So uh, (laughs) they don't mind daddy going away for the weekend. Yeah, dad, take a trip. It's okay. Exactly. Great talking to you guys again. And any questions or anything, and please forward to them to me. And as you guys know, I got my uh, Instagram profile, which is Strand yep. uh, One Hundred One. Uh, you can always add me on there and ask questions. I mean, uh, we'll drop uh, a link uh, in the show notes so everyone can go follow Canood and yeah, uh, please do. And also because I mean, as I said before, we ourselves, me and Robert, we are rum fans yeah. and we enjoy uh, talking to other producers and all of that and uh, we enjoy sharing the knowledge and share, sharing our passion with other people when you're such a small company like ours we don't even have a, a marketing budget I mean, right. seriously when people go like oh you're really selling rum i said no i don't i preach right. i'm trying to find disciples uh-huh. go, <laughs> that can help me preach about good rum because i don't have the money to pay for a whole you know big ad campaign and a couple of hundred you travel uh, around with a little right? with a big rum tent and you're just preaching uh, having revivals everywhere exactly grassroots effort (laughs) grassroots efforts putting people first you know and going like hey if you're a little bit crazy and you like the high ABVs and the high Mm -hmm. esters and the wild sensation come over here I got something really wild for you that's right exactly cheers cheers talk to you soon guys alrighty good to see you again Knud take care Thanks for listening to another episode of the Rumcast, everyone. As we mentioned at the end, we will put some links in the show notes so you can go check out the mobile website. They've actually got lots of great information on that website. It kind of reminded yeah, me, do. I remember I, you know, kind of expressed some love for the Paranubes website mm-hmm. on their episode mm-hmm. and the detail they go into with their process. So, MOBA's got some great information, some great photos. 
it looks like a beautiful place. So go check that out. We'll put some links into Knud's uh, social media profile so you can follow him, see what he is getting himself into around the world in his travels and adventures in the rum universe. And yeah, thanks again for listening. As always, we would love to hear what you think of the show. If you have questions or comments, feel free to shoot us an email at host at rumcast.com. That's host at rumcast.com. Let us know what you want to hear about, who we should talk to, that kind of thing. It's always great to hear. And you can also engage with us across the various social media platforms we have a presence on. Thanks to John Gala. John, where can they find us? Oh, I am the king of all social media for the Rumcast. <laughs> and right. uh, we are at the Rumcast, both at Facebook and Instagram. Still working on our Twitter presence. We'll get there. But I do want to make sure people know we are on YouTube now. We are continuing to add episodes onto YouTube, which That's is right. really exciting. We're starting to see some views pick up and some subscribers there. So if you happen to be wanting to digest some rum content of ours while maybe at home uh, and want to put it on YouTube, that would be now available to you. Yeah. So uh, definitely check us out there. And as Will said, also, if you have ideas for what you think maybe Will and I should talk about, that's something we, we're also, we're always coming up with these ideas that we want to talk about, but we want to know what do you want to hear. Yeah. And so please let us know. Give us a, a shout out on social or host at rumcast.com. Let us know. Let me know why I'm crazy for not liking Long Pond, uh, the ITP15, as much as uh, <laughs> other people some hate mail too. No, do not do that. <laughs> I, no hate mail. But do let me know. Hey, John, you're crazy. This one is a great one, and uh, and whatever my palate was off that day or both days. Uh, so yeah, get get us on, on social media, and we really appreciate you guys continuing to listen. We are continuing to grow, and this rum community continues to grow, and we we try to grow with it. So thank you all so much uh, for listening, and we will see you on the next episode. <laughs>